I believe that the most important thing that we do during this season is we pray and seek God's face um, and we seek his heart and trust that he is going to bring revival to his people. And so this morning, I believed it was appropriate for us to pray in our homes. Uh, this might be a little different, but you know what? Prayer is prayer. And what we see in scripture is that God responds to the cries of his people. When we pray, God not only hears us from heaven, but he delivers upon the promise of his word. And all throughout scripture, we see that God loves the prayers of his people. And so during this time, there's several things that we want to pray for uh, before we begin our time in Psalm 46. And um, there's a lot of things that we can be praying for. There's many needs that we can be praying for. But I wanted to spend just a moment of time um, praying in our homes in a moment of, of silence. We'll have some things that we pray for. We'll take a moment to pray for those in silent meditation, uh, and then we'll jump into Psalm 46. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you praising you because you are the God who reigns over the world. You reign over the nations. Father, we worship you this morning because even in the midst of the chaos and the challenges of our world, you are worthy to be praised. Lord, we thank you for your steadfast love to us. Lord, we thank you as that we read the pages of your word, that your love never fails and it never ends. Father, would you encourage and empower your people today? Would you fill your church with your hope? Lord, your word says in Romans 15, now may the God of hope fill you with peace. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be filled with peace this morning because you are the God of hope. So right now in your homes, would you just worship the Lord? Would you say, Lord, you are worthy to be praised because? Lord, you are worthy to be praised because. Father, you are worthy to be praised because you are king. You are sovereign over all. You are sovereign over every detail of the history of our world. You are worthy to be praised because you are our father, who is not only sovereign, but who cares for your children. You are the father of all mercy and all compassion. Lord, we praise you because you are all powerful, all wise, and yet you are all kind to your people. We pray this morning for the world. In your homes right now, would you pray for the nations and that through COVID-19 that God would demonstrate his power and his glory among the nations?
Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring revival around the world during these days. Father, we pray that you would bring revival to China. We pray that you would bring revival and a, and a, and a mighty move of your presence and salvation to North Korea. We pray that revival and a mighty move of your spirit would flood the flood the country of Italy now. Lord, we pray for Europe and Africa and Brazil and South Africa. And Lord, we pray for Iceland. We pray for uh, Russia. We'll, we pray for Canada. We pray for all the nations this morning. God, that you would move in power. We pray that you would prepare your people and what you are going to do in these days. Lord, we like the first church. We cry out, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, would you prepare us for your coming? We thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And oh Lord, would you continue to fulfill your purposes and your promises in the work of your son in our hearts. So we pray for the nations this morning, Lord. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray now for America. We pray we pray for Donald Trump, our, our president. We pray for all of our elected officials. Would you now in your homes begin to pray for those who are uh, seeking to lead during, uh, during, this, during these days? Lord, we pray for our president. We pray for our vice president. We pray for the team that you have surrounded them with. We, we pray for those who are uh, in the medical profession who, have, who, who understand the details of this. Lord, would you give them wisdom? And would you help them, um, help them to serve you as they serve us? Lord, we pray that you would stir their hearts. Lord, we pray that you'd give them rest. Lord, I know that many people who are working um, in the front lines of this have, have, have barely slept, Lord. Would you give them just rest to know that you're good and faithful? Lord, would you give them rest so they can serve you with, with wisdom and with strength? Lord, we pray for our governor. We pray for all of our governors around the country, Lord, that you would give them wisdom as they seek to lead their individual states. Father, Oh, this this is this is not an easy thing to deal with. And we do pray that our leaders would lead with care and concern for the people that you have entrusted them to serve. Let's also pray now for those who are on the front lines of this. Many of you may know uh, nurses or doctors or medical professionals. Perhaps you know people who are writing procedures uh, to bring care to patients as they come get tested. Could we pray now for hospitals, for doctors, for nurses? Um, we, we pray now uh, for those who, who are working and who are perhaps living in fear. Could we pray now for our hospitals and for those who are working on the front lines and caring for those um, who, who may have this, this, this virus?
Father, we thank you for those whom you have gifted to work during this season on the front lines of, of these difficult days. God, surround them with your powerful peace. Surround them with your powerful presence. Surround them with your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, your word says in Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I pray that those who are working on the front lines of this, this time, that you would remind them of your goodness and mercy and the glory of Christ. Holy Spirit, bring to remembrance your wonderful promises in your word to their hearts. Thank you that they choose to sacrifice. Thank you that they choose to serve. Protect them from this virus, we pray. Overwhelm them with your love, we pray, Lord Jesus. God, thank you that as evening we pray for nurses and doctors. We think of the many days and the many times in which they have cared for us. Lord, give them wisdom, we pray. Father, as we walk through Psalm 46 this morning, encourage our hearts, we pray. Speak, Holy Spirit, through your word. Would you guide us and help us to see your goodness, your peace, your mercy, and your unfailing love in every season. Lord, when attacks come and when natural disasters come, you rule and reign over all of it. There is not an ounce of your creation, Lord Jesus, that you are not fully sovereign over. And we, your people, pray we would trust in you in these days ahead. Lord, your word also says that your house shall be called a house of prayer. And I pray right now for everyone watching that their homes would be places of prayer. Lord, I pray that everyone watching, that their homes would be filled with your presence, that they would pursue your face, that they would open your word and love you. Lord, would you make our homes homes of prayer? And so today, Lord, as we, as we gather in our homes, we thank you that you are faithful to meet with us. We thank you for this gift of technology. We thank you that even now, Holy Spirit, you are meeting with your people. And we pray these things in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, we are going to be in Psalm 46 this morning, and um, I hope that you have your Bibles turned there. And um, again, wanted to let you know that I'm so glad you have uh, chosen to join us this morning uh, via, via our Facebook page. Uh, and and if, as you're turning there, I want to let you know, again, if there's any way we can serve for you or care for you during this season, please do not hesitate to contact us at our church office, or you can message us on our Facebook page. So today we are going to be in Psalm 46, and today's sermon title is Godly Fortitude in the Fortress of Our God. Godly Fortitude in the Fortress of Our God. Let me make sure that this is still working. All right, we're good to go. All right, Psalm 46, godly fortitude in the fortress of our God. Let's read the text. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help 
and trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its dwell at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the God who dwells among your people. Lord, we thank you that we can be confident this morning that the promises of your word are for your people. So, Lord, would you speak now through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Mark chapter 4, Mark will give us this incredible teaching from our Savior on how hearts respond to the word of God. He will give us the different types of hearts and how they respond to the word of the gospel. Mark chapter 4, Mark will note for us that Jesus sits in a boat and he's in the sea and he's teaching his disciples and he's also teaching the crowds as they have come to heard him teach. But at the end of Mark 4, after Mark, after Jesus teaches on the parable of the sower and the parable of the mustard seed, and as he's teaching the crowds and what the kingdom of God is like, a storm comes. And as Jesus is in the boat and his disciples are with him, they decide to travel. And in that storm, his disciples, they panic, they fear, they, the, a storm comes and the waters are roaring and the boat is moving about and they are panicking. And his disciples are trying to wake up Jesus and they say, Jesus, are you not concerned that we are perishing? Jesus was calm. He was in the boat asleep. And he woke up and he told the wind, he spoke to the wind and the waves and he spoke to the sea and he said, peace, be still. His disciples were in awe of this moment. Who is this that he even has authority over the waters and the sea? His disciples were in awe that Christ had authority over all of creation. Mark chapter 4, Jesus' response to his disciples in the midst of a storm, in the midst of chaos, when they believed they were perishing, his response is peace, be still. You know, I wonder if in that moment, which by the way, we're, we know that the author of Psalm 46 is Jesus. Jesus knows what happened in Psalm 46. 
I wonder if in that moment, Jesus had in his heart Psalm 46. Psalm 46 reminds us that in the midst of storms, in the midst of disasters, in the midst of chaos, the words of our Savior are always the same. Peace, be still. I believe that the Lord is seeking to capture the hearts of his people during these days. I believe that the Lord is seeking to speak peace and calm and assurance to his people. Psalm 46 is one that has been trusted in and read and meditated on and uh, and read for the, the whole history of the church. It is a psalm that God has used throughout the lives of his people. In fact, Psalm 46 will be the psalm that Martin Luther will work from in writing his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther, as he read Psalm 46, saw that God was a mighty fortress in the midst of difficult days. Psalm 46 will give us the picture that in the midst of war, in the midst of spiritual and physical attacks, our God is our refuge. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our joy. He is our power. He is our hope. He is our assurance. He is our glory. He is our heart's desire. Our God is our refuge and strength in every time of need. In every moment, our God is close to his people. Psalm 46 is one that we can trust today as God's people as we worship him and trust him and trust his sovereign purposes during these days. What is the context of Psalm 46? It's often been talked about. It's been written about by Old Testament scholars about what events inspired this psalm. And at the end of the day, we don't know what exact event inspired this psalm, but there are truths that we extract from this psalm that are particularly and gloriously helpful for the people of God. Psalm 46 is a song of powerful confidence in the saving presence of God. It is a song of assurance. It is a song of confidence in the glory and in the salvation of our God. It is one that speaks of our sure place of safety and protection in God Almighty. And Psalm 46 reminds us that there is coming a day in which there will be no more wars and there will be no more desolation. That our God, our King, the Lord Jesus, will make his stand in the world and he will declare his rule and his reign among the nations. But until that day, God will give his people everlasting peace and powerful peace in troubled times. When troubles come, and we know that they do, and we know that they will, God is our present hope. This psalm is a message also. Not, it's not just for believers it is for us, it is for his church, but it is also for unbelievers to stop their striving, to stop their fighting, and to stop their resistance against not only God's people, but God Almighty. This psalmist is calling 
the nations to repentance. He is calling all people to turn from sin, to turn from wickedness, and to trust the only one, Yahweh the Lord, who can save. This morning, if you are watching with us, I want you to know this morning that you will never find security, you will never find hope, you will never find assurance until you find your identity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You will never find hope, you will never find confidence until you find and know that God is God and he is on his throne and he created you in his image. That's where we find our hope. And that never changes for those who have trusted Christ. So there's three different moves. If you notice in this psalm, there's three times that we see this word Selah in Psalm 46. And this psalm has been divided into three different sections so God's people could sing this song as they worshiped him. And it's also a psalm that we can sing and that we can see the glory of our Savior in as we read these 11 verses. But You'll notice there's three different sections. So today I want to talk to you about three different important truths in Psalm 46 as we see God's heart for us. Three truths. Verses 1 through 3, we see that God is our fortress amidst fear. That's what we see at the very beginning of this psalm. The foundation to Psalm 46 is that our God is a fortress in the midst of our fear. Secondly, we see in verses 4 through 7 that God is our assurance amidst attacks in the world. We know that attacks come. We know that spiritual attacks come, physical attacks come. But in the midst of it, God is our assurance. We know that God is working all things for his glory and so that his kingdom might expand among the nations. God is our assurance amidst attacks. And finally, we see in this psalm that God is our joy amidst his judgment of the nations. Oh, I love the way that this psalm ends. God is our joy in the midst of his judgment over the nations. Psalm 46 will ultimately call us to rest in who God is and also in what he will do in bringing his justice to the world. There is coming a day in which every knee will bow and every heart will declare, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Psalm 46 ultimately points us to that day. Philippians chapter 2, Paul will note for us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we find great hope in that. So those three points, they they really, they... They, they flow through this text, and so we'll look at those this morning. Well, first, let's look at verses 1 through 3, as we see that God is our fortress in the midst of fear. This first psalm gives us the picture of who God is, and then how he acts. God always acts based on his attributes, and here we see in the beginning of this psalm, Two incredible, beautiful attributes of our God. First, he is our refuge and strength. Now, these first two words of this psalm really are important. He is the God who is. Uh, he is the God who was. He is the God who is. And he is the God who is to come. If you're struggling this, with this morning with, with knowing for assurance that God is present in your needs, 
Psalm 46 is not confused. There is no doubt for Psalm 46. God is our refuge and he is our strength. This word refuge is the common word that we see in the Old Testament. We see it in several places and it's speaking of the place where God's people go to find a place of hope and a place of encouragement in the midst of our fears. When the troubles of life come, it's him, him that we run to and flee to immediately. It's, it's Christ, our refuge, who we run to. It's Christ, our hope, who we run to. And his place is a safe place that can never be moved. His throne is unmovable. His grace is unshakable. Our God is our refuge. This is the place where we run to in time of need. But not only is he our refuge, he is also our strength. So God is all powerful and all wise, and he shares that with his people. The kind of strength that our psalmist is speaking of this morning is the strength that not, is not only in God, but is also the strength that he gives to his people. So he is our refuge and he is our strength. That is the main purpose and theme of this psalm. That is the foundation to this psalm. He is a very present help in trouble. I love this phrase. Uh, he is not only our 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 our, our uh, he is not only our one-time helper. He is the helper that helps us in every need and in every season and in every circumstance. This picture here of a very present help, it's a picture of an abundance of help. It is a picture of an overwhelming amount of hope. This psalm basically says that if you need help, you'll only find it in one place. It's the kind of help that we cannot find in ourselves. It is the kind of help that only God gives. Perhaps many of you grew up being taught that God helps those who help themselves. Friend, hear me this morning. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. God helps the weak. God helps the powerless. God helps his people because we know that we can receive no other help or no other hope apart from our Savior. God helps those who run to him, who flee to him and know that they have nothing in their lives. They have no works that can help them, but one work, the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ at the cross. So he is our very present help in trouble. What kind of trouble is our psalmist speaking of here? He is speaking of intense, dark, difficult trouble. He is speaking of a kind of trouble that is not just between a rock and a hard place, but he it's as if he cannot move, as if he cannot go anywhere. It's as if he has no direction in his life. He says that he's a present help in trouble. Psalm 25 verse 17 says, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. The same word that we see in Psalm 46 verse 1 is the same word that we see in Psalm 25 verse 17. The kind of trouble that seems to be overwhelming. The kind of trouble that seems to be that we can't get out of. This psalmist will say that in the midst of that, God promises to be our help and to come to our rescue. 
This is the kind of help in verse 1 that can only be found in God alone. And because he is our sure and present help in trouble, he says that we will not fear, though the, though the earth gives way. We will not fear. Many of you have probably heard uh, over the last several days, we will choose fear and not, we will choose faith and not fear. What kind of faith are we seeing here? We, seeing, we are seeing a response of confidence in God. We are seeing a response of confidence in his sovereign purposes. Though the earth gives way, and this picture here of, of the earth is the picture of, 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 of the earth slipping. Uh, perhaps the psalmist is thinking about uh, an earthquake. Perhaps he's thinking of a, a natural disaster that has happened. But what he knows that come what may, God's sovereign purposes will not be thwarted in his people. So, he says here, the mountains, though they be moved into the heart of the sea. Now, mountains, they will symbolize for us security and protection and strength. You would never imagine that, that the mountains could be lifted up from the world and be moved into an ocean, could you? Could you imagine for a moment, those of us who are in Tennessee, you've likely been to the Smoky Mountains, could you imagine if the Smoky Mountains all of a sudden were just lifted and thrown into the Atlantic Ocean? Imagine for me a moment, those of you who are watching from Sparta, if, if Hickory Valley was just lifted up in a moment. The kind of picture we see here is that though if the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we will not fear. Now the sea here will actually symbolize chaos. It symbolizes unstableness. Uh, we see this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, Jonah says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows have passed over me. Uh, Jonah, in the midst of chaos, when God calls him, he, he feels as if the Lord has thrown him into the sea, which, again, the sea symbolizes chaos and, and, and a mess. Uh, it's similar to what we see in Isaiah 40, chapter 4, that the valleys will be lifted up and the mountains will be made low. That, that's, that's the picture that we see here in verse 2, is that even though the earth might slip, and even though the mountains might be moved into the heart of the sea, our God rules and reigns, and his purposes cannot be thwarted. So then he says in verse 3, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So in the midst of worldly chaos, God will work out his purposes for our good. And then you notice again this word selah means to pause, to consider what has been written. So what should we do after verse 3? We should consider that our God is the eternal fortress that we find and run to for rescue, for hope, and for joy, and to know that he is working out his purposes for our good. God's throne, God's fortress is the place where we should initially run to, and it's the place where we should continually run to. You know, in seasons of, of, of hard days, when if you've experienced hard things in your life and you're watching this morning and you're wrestling with the Lord and his purposes, here's what I want you to know this morning. 
God is not only the fortress where you're supposed to run to at the beginning of those days, but he's the fortress that you're supposed to run to every single day. He is the place where our hearts find refuge each and every single day. And as we consider the challenges of this, uh, of this uh, season of, of COVID-19, of where we are at as a church, church, we have reason to hope. God's fortress is, as Hebrews 4 reminds us, his throne of grace, where we can run to boldly with confidence because of the finished and completed work of Christ. And so this morning, as we consider the first section of this psalm, that he is our fortress amidst fear, may you run to him continually. May you run to him daily for your joy and your passion and your purposes. So we see that he is our fortress. God is our fortress amidst fear, but he's also our assurance amidst attacks. Verses four through seven, he is our assurance amidst attacks. Verse 4 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Not every city in the ancient world was located near a body of water and thrived on its water sources. Interestingly enough for Jerusalem, Jerusalem was not located near a river or uh, uh, any source of water. However, it did have the Gihon Spring that was located in Jerusalem that was the source of life for its people. We don't know exactly um, if that exactly what our psalmist is speaking of here, but what we do know is that there is a source of life that will provide for God's people in the midst of attacks. Uh, in the Old Testament, this spring would be called the Pool of Shiloh. It's the, it's the place that we see several times in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, uh, it would be called the Pool of Siloam. And many of you, that, that may sound familiar. If you remember the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9, it was the Pool of Siloam where Jesus commanded him to go. It was the Pool of Siloam where he was. Um, uh, and so we, we see that that this, in verse, in verse 4, it, it could very well be speaking of that place. We see in Isaiah chapter 8 in the Old Testament, uh, the Pool of Shiloh was a symbol of protection and uh and, and provision. It was a place uh, that symbolized um, uh, protection and provision for God's people, and God's people could either choose to uh, to receive it or reject it. We see in Ezekiel chapter 47 that there is a flowing spring of water that will flow from under the temple that flows east and west and is the source of life for God's people. We see the same thing in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 8, that, that, the, that the water will flow both east and west and Perhaps this is a result of, of an earthquake when the Lord descends. But we're also reminded of Genesis, the river that runs throughout the garden. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This word here for holy habitation, it's the picture we see of the tabernacle, the place where God dwells. And this picture of the Most High, you will remember uh, uh, Melchizedek when he uh, ordains Abram. It's most high. You remember Gabriel, the angel Gabriel in Luke's gospel, when he says to Mary that you're, this son is the son of the most high. Uh, this phrase most high, it speaks specifically of God's covenantal love towards his people. So there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. Certainly another passage that you might be reminded of is John chapter seven, the feast of booths. Where Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, he will never thirst. He who believes in me will never thirst. And so we see that 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This would be, the, the difference is you have the sea, which is chaotic and the, it, it roars. And we have the peace and the life-giving power of a, of a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now, did you notice the same word in verse 5 is the same word that we see in verse 1? He is our help. He is in the midst of us. We will not be moved. Here's what our psalmist is saying, that every detail Everything that happens in God's world, God is in the midst of his people. And while everything will come and try to get us to be shaken in our confidence of God, God is in the midst of his people. He has always been in the midst of his people. And right now, wherever you're watching, God, his presence is with you, his presence been made known to us. He will help her when morning dawns. Do you remember the book of Exodus? When did God deliver his people from Egypt? It was in the dawn when the morning came. This picture of God uh, helping her when the morning dawns is a picture of uh, a season. Once we were in a season of darkness and in suffering, but God, but God delivered, but God gave hope, but God came to rescue his people. And in here in verse five, he will help her when the morning dawns. Now, this kind of help, again, is the same help that we saw at the beginning of this psalm. It's the kind of help that only God can give. Did you know that this word is the same word that we see in Genesis chapter 2? When Adam needed a helpmate, God gave him Eve. God gave him a woman. Because Adam could not do what God's design for the world was. Adam could not do alone what God's design was. So, he gave him a help in Eve. And it was through that, that God would fill the world with people through Adam and Eve. It's the same picture that we see here is that God will help us when the morning dawns. Verse six, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. This, this word totter, it's the same word that we saw in verse two about the earth giving way, the earth slipping. The, the nations, though they rage and though the kingdoms, they, they slip. Though they are attacking God's people, though they are attacking Jerusalem, we know that when God speaks, when he utters his voice at a sporting event, whether we're uh, doing a, a, a hunting or fishing, whether we uh, win a big prize or something, we, we are a people who often raise our voice. Um, I remember as a, well, I, don't, I was not there, but I'll never forget the, the time when even um, at an LSU football game that uh, the whole stadium uproared and roared its voice, and the earth shook. In fact, it, it measured on the Richter scale of a, sm a small, minor earthquake. But did you see what happens when God speaks in Psalm 46? Psalm 46, verse 6, when he utters his voice, the earth melts. The psalmist is speaking of the judgment of God. He is speaking of those who reject God, and when our God speaks, the earth, the world, and its disobedience, and its rejection of God, it will melt. The picture here is that when God speaks, kingdoms fall. When God speaks, the world melts. 
It ends. God will bring an end to the attacks and the war in our world. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The picture here of the God of Jacob is one of speaking of God's covenantal love towards his people. It's, it's a love that speaks to our neediness. That in our neediness, God is our refuge. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, we see this word, Selah, calling us to pause and consider who our God is. Here's who our God is. He is the God who is always victorious. He is the God who rules and reigns above the heavens and the earth, and he will establish his rule. And it's that same God that this psalmist will say is our fortress. The the very same God that has worked throughout all of human history, the same God that has worked throughout the world, the same God that sent his son, the same God that has redeemed his people, the same God that has come to rescue his people, is the same God who promises to meet us in the midst of these days. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see that he is our assurance amidst attacks. But finally, we see in verses 8 through 11 that God is our joy amidst his judgments of the nations. In verses 8 through 9, God's judgment, we see, will be total and complete. It will be total and complete. The psalmist says, come see the works of the Lord. So in the midst of the attacks, in the midst of the nations raging against God's people, the psalmist says, come and see, behold, the works of the Lord. Now we know that the greatest work of the Lord is that he sent forth his son. This word, behold, it reminds us of the cry of John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Come and see what our God has done. Come and see his glory. Come and hear his promises. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Does that sound familiar? Some trust in horses and some in chariots. But we will trust in the name of our God. The picture here is one of total and complete desolation and complete destruction. Our enemies will not have any armor in their fight against God. They will have nothing. When God comes to judge the world, they stand condemned apart from him. But in Christ, Paul reminds us in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. We are a people who are filled with hope. God's people, his church, his bride can stand confident because Christ has come for us. And we know that one day he will indeed make all things new and he will shut the mouths of our enemies. He will shut the mouths of those who are living in darkness and they will see the glory of our God. In the last part of this, we see a a very well-known verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. 
Now, this verse has been one that's been memorized by many believers. It's one that is actually, I, I bought a painting for my fiance, who is now my wife, while we were engaged to put on her wall with a beautiful tree in the midst of a field that said, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. But what is God saying in this verse? Typically, we, we, we read this phrase and we think that it's just a time for us to stop and to pause and to not consider the truths of the gospel. This is not some kind of psychological response for us to just sit and, and just be quiet without us taking action, without us thinking in our hearts. This is a call for us to rest in God's judgments upon the world. This is a word of rebuke to believers who are insecure in their trusting of God. It is a word to unbelievers for them to look and see what God has done around the world. Because they cannot deny his mighty acts. They cannot deny his mighty works. To be still and to know that he is God is to, is to, to know that every detail and his sovereign purposes will be worked out for his glory. To be still and to know that he is God is to find assurance that God's sovereign purposes are being worked out in the world. To be still and know that he is God is to know that his glory indeed will be revealed to the nations. To be still and know that he is God is to find rest and confidence and assurance that whatever you're enduring right now, child of God, he is intending it for your good. Whatever you are walking through, somehow, some way, in the deepest of your darkest, in the deepest place of it, your darkest season, God's light is shining gloriously because he's with you. He refuses to let go of you. He refuses to not speak to you. He refuses to ever let go of you. His hold of you is eternally secure. Though life might feel chaotic for some of us, especially around the world, as our, our world is filled with chaos right now, it's a call for the church to be confident in God. It's a call for us to stop and instead of looking around to the left and to the right, it's a call for us to stop and to look up and to say, God, you are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of our worship. You are holy. There is none like you. And though the world is opposing you, we know that you are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that will far outweigh the sufferings and the trials of this life. It's a call for us to respond in holy worship because as this psalmist says, be still and know that, that I am God. Why? Because God will be exalted among the nations. This picture of God being exalted among the nations, it is certainly a picture of God ruling and reigning over the world, but it's also a picture of his sovereign and divine judgment is going to happen in the world. And he's calling us, his people, to be still and to know that that's going to happen. That is going to come. 
So I believe firmly that God is preparing us to see this. He's ultimately preparing us for this moment. So he will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And as we have seen previously in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we see in Psalm 46 that God's presence, he is our fortress in every time of need. When the attack of the world comes, we know that we can run to Christ and trust in his sufficient grace. But we also know this. Our enemy is not a person. Our enemy is not a country. Our enemy is not COVID-19. We have one enemy, and that is Satan, who seeks to steal and to kill and destroy. And one day, too, he will be defeated. He's been, he's been defeated to, by, by the power of the cross. Sin's, sin has been, been defeated. The power of the cross, the power of, of, of sin has been broken because of what Christ has done. But one day, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we, his people, will rule and reign victoriously as we celebrate the glory of our Savior. How does Psalm 46 point us to Christ? Ultimately, ultimately, the place where we go, our fortress, is two wooden posts where Christ came and laid down his life. There is a fortress for the people of God. And it is two wooden posts with nails, with nail-scarred hands, where our Savior laid down his life and became the sacrifice for the sin that laid upon us. I love Mark's gospel. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. Do you remember what that centurion said? He pierced Jesus' side. He saw Jesus breathe his last. And that centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. The cross is our refuge. If you need help this morning, you can run to Christ. If you need hope this morning, run to the cross. If you need forgiveness from bitterness, if you need healing from pain, if you need hope in the midst of discouragement, run to the cross where Christ died for you, where he gave his life for you. Run to the foot of that cross and see where your Savior, where he bled and died for you. I hope and pray that in the midst of this season, I want you to, while we might be quarantined, the Holy Spirit of God cannot be quarantined. He will not be quarantined. He is ruling and reigning and he is using us, his people, run to the cross. I plead with you, whatever pain, whatever fears, whatever panics you might have, see your Savior where he willingly gave his life for you. Matthew chapter 11, Matthew, Jesus tells us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the place where our souls find rest. The very last uh, passage, the very last chapter of Matthew's gospel, do you remember Jesus's word to his disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, behold, 
I am with you until the end of the age. That is what Psalm 46 ultimately points to. It gives us a sense of security. It gives us a sense of assurance to know that God is at work. We cannot be secure in our understanding of who God is until we actually know him. It's meditating on his character. It's meditating on his promises that gives us strength. We need to know what our God is able to do. And he is the God who is able to work powerfully in the midst of these days. As we are at home praying, as we are at home with our families, God is able to move mightily among us. Psalm 46 reminds us of the hope and the assurance that we have that Christ came to save sinners, that Christ came to redeem, and Christ came to heal. Let me ask you something this morning. If you are an unbeliever and you're watching this, let me ask you something. What is your life look like? Would you characterize your life as one of chaos and of sorrow, of without purpose? God created you in his image, created you for his glory. And you can reject him all of your days and you can choose to spend an eternity in hell. Or you can turn from sin. You can trust Christ. You can see his love and be fully confident and assured to know that God is with you. Would you trust him for salvation today? Would you give your life to him? Would you surrender your all to his love? And here's the promise of the gospel, that those whom God saves, those whom God calls to himself, he will not once forsake. It's that truth that causes our hearts to be overwhelmed with joy and peace and hope, even in the midst of COVID-19. Let me close by sharing with you a story. I enjoy, um, one of the things that I personally enjoy is I enjoy history. Uh, I love to read about history, and the history that I love to read most about is the period of World War II. And one of the things that I have uh, enjoyed, uh, one of the, the, the my, my, I guess you'd call it my hobbies, is to read letters from those who served our country and wrote to their spouses or wrote to their children, those who um, wrote home. Um, we know that that generation was an incredible generation. And if you ever get time to read some of the handwritten letters that soldiers re- uh, wrote to their to their spouses or to their family, I think you'd find some, uh, some, some hope. And um, I think you'd enjoy that. But let me read to you one that I read uh, several years ago that really stuck out to me. And uh, this was from a military chaplain who was serving God and um, and was 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 a veteran during World War II. Let me read to you what he says about Psalm 46. He says this, Dear Rose, as each passing day goes by, my love for you grows deeper and deeper as I long to see you. While I believe God has me to serve him and the great men alongside of me, My heart grows weary as I try to understand his plans in war. It seems that there are more days where I find myself wrestling with the Lord 
asking him if there is really any good to what we are doing and fighting against Hitler's regime. Just last night, before I went to bed, my eyes landed on Psalm 46. The first two words gave me hope that I have not experienced since the moment that I met you. God is. As I read Psalm 46, our Lord showed me that he is present in every detail and in my sorrow as I think of you. And as the Lord is present to me in war, the Lord is present to you in our home. It is this truth that gives me hope in war and hope for you and your loneliness. I love you, John. To my Bear Code family, let me say this, that our God will make himself known during this season. And to those of you who are watching, I want you to know that if you are in Christ, you can find peace for your soul because he is working these purposes out for your good. And for those of you who are watching who may not be a believer, I hope and pray that today would be the day of salvation. Our God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of need. Today, I hope you'll know that God is your healer. He is your father. He is your hope. He is your power. He is our God who strengthens us in every season of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for those who are watching today. Lord, we pray for every need, every need that um, every family has right now. Lord, would you remind them that you are the sovereign God who rules and reigns over all. Father, we pray that we would rest in the words of Jesus, that in the midst of our storms, you are the one who speaks to us and says, peace, be still. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you for your care for us. Would you bring a special sense of your presence to your people now? In Jesus' name, amen.